This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bell one time on Friday. Some participating McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax. Must update rewards. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the U! Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director, and I'll be hosting this episode. This week, we have a specially extended chat with one of our regular contributors, Ed Kimber, aka The Boy Who Bakes. He's created some incredible chocolate recipes for our February issues, so we get to chat about the inspiration behind those, as well as discussing the current baking scene in New York, Paris and Tokyo. And we also get some expert tips on working with chocolate. Let's hear from Ed. Hi, Ed. Welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we've got you in today because uh, we've got a brilliant new feature in the February issue, yeah. which is your chocolate recipes. Cover star. Cover star, yeah. Yeah, that amazing cake we've got on the cover, which is the chocolate and passion fruit. Thankfully, the one on the cover is not the one that I dropped on the floor. It's the one that managed oh, yeah, to okay. survive. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, we, had a, we had a moment on the shoot where Ed had made two cakes mm-hmm. and one of them... One of them managed to escape the freezer. I put it in the freezer to chill before we glazed it. And I just heard this bang, the door opened, the cake fell on the floor. Yeah. And, and we, we all sworn. stood, yeah, we all kind of stood there for five minutes with our mouths open going. We did shoot right? it though. Be all right. We did try and shoot, we glazed it, shot it, and it, it looked, looked terrible. awful. And everyone was like, yeah, it's fine. And they were like, I do have another one. Oh yeah, let's shoot that one then. Everyone's very like... Yeah, okay. Well, let's just pretend it's fine. This is why you're the prep king, though, because <laughs> you God. actually did have another one in a also, box. Like, that cake's not necessarily difficult, but it does take quite a bit of time. Yeah. So if I'd had to make that whole thing again from scratch, it would not have been shot that day. No, we wouldn't no have done way. it that day. So yeah, thank God I shot another one. But the feature is quite an interesting one mm. because it's um, it's inspired by your travels. I think last year you well, you got, you got around a bit, <laughs> didn't you? Were you ever in the UK? I yeah, was texting a friend of mine last night uh, to meet up for drinks. And he was saying, because I was saying, Oh, I'm going. Away. I'm going to America in two weeks. He's like, again. You always seem to be. Away. I'm like, what are you on about? And then I realised, oh no, I was away quite a bit last year. Yeah. But a lot of that was for work. Um, but yeah, the recipes are kind of in my mind were half inspired by travel yeah. to New York, Paris, and um, Tokyo. 
and the other half was kind of uh, chocolate flavor pairings. So everything's yeah. kind of chocolate with something. Because mm. um, chocolate's like one of those enduring things, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, in, especially in baking, it's ne- you're never always going to have a chocolate thing on the yeah. menu in a, in a bakery. There's oh, always going to be something because it just, you know, because it's the classic. Well, it's incredibly flexible. Uh, you can basically never run out of ideas for it. I yeah. mean, I could write two or three books purely on recipes for chocolate just because yeah. it's possibly my favourite ingredient to work with. Yeah. I think it's it has the most potential and every, I mean if someone doesn't like chocolate you have to wonder what's wrong with them because <laughs> there's something definitely wrong with them because chocolate is the best. So yeah. I think it's meant to hit that kind of dopamine it d- it does meant thing to in your brain isn't it? In your brain, yeah. yeah. Um, which is fine I'm sure it is uh, but it's just damn tasty yeah. so um, yeah it's just one of those things that's just so easy to work with yeah. or for someone like me it's a joy to work with it has yeah. its trickiness but I love 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 working with it so tell us about the different scenes like let's let's start with like New York because mm-hmm. um, I've been to New York a few times mm. and um, I'm always amazed at like the turnover of ideas yeah. and like the oh, things yeah. that like pop up on Instagram <laughs> yeah. every month will be a hot new place to go and yeah. not even every month every day every yeah, week yeah, yeah. basically well I think New York has a, a similar feel in some ways to London in that there isn't necessarily like a local baking style of their yeah. own it's more of a, a hodgepodge like a melting pot of yeah. things from all over the place so you know you can be on one street and go to a matcha themed place that will serve you like all different types of soft serve um, with matcha and then you can go to a, um, you know like a, an American bakery down the street that serves cupcakes and layer cakes and all those kind of yeah. things um, but then you can also get basically any style of baking you want in that city which because, is what I really love about yeah. it um, but you, you're right in that it, things turn over there so so quickly so um, I was there in November I think and uh, one of the places that I went to was this amazing bakery called Supermoon. Yeah. And um, do you know the place in San Francisco called Mr. Holmes? So um, it was really like, it was all over Instagram. What was it? Um, basically, they kind of uh, became famous for doing cruffins, you know, the... Oh, yeah, uh, the cru- do, so Not do cruffins. They, yeah, no. cruffins. Yeah, cruffins, the, the muffin cro- ones. The, the croissant muffin Yeah, and they're really hybrid. good. I actually prefer them more to um, the cronut because it's not fried, so it yeah. lasts longer. So did they, so they invented they the cruffin? They didn't invent it. I, don't, I think actually the people who invented it technically is a bakery in uh, Melbourne called... Oh, uh, right. going to forget the name, but I'm pretty sure they invented it. But they were like the first place in America to really become known for it. Yeah. And the guy who set it up, the head baker, he left under a bit of a cloud... And people don't really know why he left, um, but he then moved to New York and he set up this new place called Supermoon. And it's incredible. Um, They're all about the croissant, so, and laminated pastry. Wow. And I think that's really having a huge moment over there at the moment. Um, So they're moving more into that kind of very particular fine, because it it is, I mean, it's hard. Oh, it's really hard. That's the hard end of bacon, isn't it? But that's basically one of all the things they sell. So they sell a donut. And then like five, six variations on the croissant dough. Yeah. So they do a cruffin, they do amazing croissants, but their croissants are that kind of new trend where it's coloured. So they add a layer of coloured dough to the top of the croissant dough. Oh. So when they roll it, it's kind of, they call it a bicolor croissant. So you have the classic kind of golden colour. Yeah. And then these stripes of really beautiful colour. But then they fill them according to that colour. So you'll have like, um, oh, sorry, the other way around really. They colour it according to the filling. Right. And so they have like an amazing pistachio and rose one. Yeah. They do uh, like an um, everything bagel croissant that's filled with locks and cream cheese ah. and all those things. So it's not like that horrible rainbow bagel thing no, that happened. No, it's much with a, more that really, subtle yeah, that. that's and nice. It, it's still, 
whilst it's really colourful, it's way more elegant than that because yeah. I hated those. Um, bagels yeah, they were just horrible. Um, but yeah, New York is definitely kind of, I think it's one of the places that leads trends a lot. Yeah. I don't think London leads them as much in terms of baking. I think we have an amazing baking scene, but not in the same kind of trend kind of way. I think like Paris is good for, with that yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I think New York kind of, they're looking for the new thing and people are looking for the new thing. They're, they're restless, aren't they? They want to be, yeah. they want to find it, they want to Instagram it, they want to move on to it. I do think that's a really big thing in New York. I think there's so many, um, probably fads, yeah. and I don't think it necessarily started with um, Dominic Ansel, but that was kind of like a big point in it where yeah. the cronut really started that trend thing. Yeah. Because um, now every day, like you write, something new, something everyone's posting about for a week. Mm. Um, I think it's interesting, but I think I'm actually more interested in the places that are just doing something they love yeah. and they're not just trying to Just doing it really well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just like, because some of those places don't get as much press, but they're actually better. I think sometimes those places that are tracing the, chen, uh, the trends aren't necessarily yeah. as interesting. There's a place, I'm going to forget its name, in New York that um, currently does um, a cupcake that has a party popper in it. Um, so it's like you pull the popper and it explodes the cupcake. I'm like, okay, I don't get the point. Cause how do you eat that? How do you eat it? Um, <laughs> or do you just wipe it off your face? <laughs> well, the weird them. thing is though, they, I found out that they developed that recipe because of an agency. So they had like an ad marketing agency that basically told them what to do to become viral on Instagram. Oh no. So the first thing they did was make a birthday cake croissant so it's like full of sprinkles and a sprinkle cream yeah and like it looked kind of like trashy pretty yeah um but it was developed because of instagram trends and like mm. Mm, i get why you have to do that now like i understand that and i have nothing against it but and they did it because they were making really good stuff but it just wasn't as popular they weren't doing as well as they thought they were going to do mm. um and i think it's sad that you have to kind of go yeah. to that lens these days but i mean it's, it's interesting to watch you know just yeah. not necessarily my favourite way of finding something. So would somewhere like Paris mm. be, would you, would you think that's a bit more traditional? Because in my head, I'm thinking like, you know, all the all the patisseries that have yeah, been yeah, there yeah. for years and they do quite classical. Well, I always think that Paris has, it does have a an influence, a massive influence, yeah. but it's what I think of as like a slower influence. Right. Because I think Parisians, especially patisserie, is slower to change. So yes, they will try things and they will develop things, but it happens over a much longer period right. rather than this instant trend. So mm. things like... Um, um, they really pushed the shoe pastry trend. Like the eclair oh. thing was all because of Paris. Um, but it just took a long time for that to really come to the fore. Like yeah. the guy who opened the really trendy place, um, Eclair de Genie, he opened it um, like four or five years ago now. And then not, maybe not even that long, but before that he was working at uh, Fauchon doing their eclairs and they were amazing and pretty and gorgeous. But it slowly kind yeah. of came to the fore and then everybody started doing it. So there's, there's some, um, I went on a little trip there actually to, to look at different um, places and we went to Fauchon and I think there's, there's there's big names, isn't there? There's kind of four or five that you would, there's probably more than that, but yeah, there's, that but there's some there. really big ones that you would always like yeah. go to. Like, well, like Fauchon, Pierre Hermé used to be Pierre the head Mille, of there, yeah. um, back, really back in the day. Um, Christophe Adam, who's now yeah. a legendary, like a whole bunch of people have gone through those doors um but yeah i think they are really good at pushing things but they're not ones to rush right so you don't necessarily find things uh really quickly yeah there. but um it's always interesting to me because i think their trends are often slightly more 
thought through. Yeah. So it's easier to kind of understand and go, oh, that's not just a gimmick. It seems to be a bit more mm. based in tradition, but pushed forward a little bit. For There's sure. also this kind of um, tradition of like the, they really showcase their patisserie. Like yeah. when you walk in the shop, it's like going into a, a museum or an art gallery. Like the amount of care that goes into presentation. Well, they're slowly trying to change that in a good way, I think, yeah. because. I think sometimes those places can be a little off-putting. Yeah. They're so yeah, boutique-y. I was I was a little bit scared. Yeah. Well, I remember like <laughs> not scared, but you you kind of feel like you shouldn't uh, be there. You know, like when you not go into a really enough. posh yeah, like a really posh clothes shop, and you're just the too pretty woman vibe. Yeah, too scared to <laughs> to touch anything, or yeah. you just feel like I'm an imposter in this. <laughs> well, I think yeah. I think that was probably part. Of that. I think they recognised the issue because I remember years ago like when I was 18 I'm going into Pierre Hermé for the first time ever yeah. and I'd never seen anything like it before I remember trying to take a picture with my uh, camera and being told off yeah. like no no pictures sir and then slowly they changed those rules to us like oh, you can take one picture and now they seem to relax a lot in all of the places and I think they've realised that actually you can't be that same kind of staid traditional no. vibe so a lot of the patisseries especially the really successful ones are slowly opening new boutiques that have mm. a little bit more relaxed vibe. Yeah. So, um, like, PMA's boutiques have always been very beautiful, very elegant, yeah. and a little bit formal. And his most recent one in the Marais has tried to remove some of that whilst right. keeping the beauty. So it's much more relaxed. There's no, like, technical counter. It's a bit more walk around. The colours are more bright yeah. and it's more airy. And it just feels a little bit more welcoming, almost. Yeah. And I do think that's partly because... Uh, they've realised that patisserie, whilst beautiful, also needs to sell. And I think mm. it's easier when it's a little bit more engaging. So, And I think that's something they've borrowed from other places, okay. um, especially kind of America, where you can do something really pretty and really mm. beautiful and the food's still shone, but it's less restrictive in terms of like who you're necessarily attracting. Yeah. Is, there an, this, is there kind of an area in Paris where there's a lot of the... Uh, it's kind of all over because it's that yeah. cliche of, you know, there's a bakery in every street corner. Of course, yeah. Um, but, I mean, my favourite area really has always been the Marais. The Marais, yeah. Uh, just because I like the vibe there, but baking-wise, they're really good. So yeah. you have, um, you now have a Pierre Hermé that serves everything, not just macarons. You have one of my favourites, which is uh, Jacques Chenin, who serves um, afternoon tea yeah. and amazing chocolates and caramels and all these sorts of things. Um, you have this amazing ice cream shop called uh, Un Glace de Paris, which is an ice cream shop, but they also make cake out of ice cream. Yeah. So it's kind of like the American ice cream cake, but patisserie. Oh, and really? It looks wow. like patisserie, um, but it's actually ice cream. It's insane. It's so beautiful. Um, and it's really, really elegant. It's just very, very different. Yeah. yeah I, I, I like that area a lot just because there is a real mix of things again lots of different styles but do you get to Paris more often because it's closer I mean I know you've been you, how many times did you go no, last year I went a lot last year I did go I was I think I went once uh for pleasure yeah um but then I think I went four times for work yeah um but uh, yeah Paris is one of my favorite places in the world but you can just bob on the Eurostar well, and you're there in a couple of hours to, I love to that to get to Paris than it is to get to my family home so I'm like sorry parents I'm off to Paris <laughs> which they're not happy with but yeah. um it, I, I do love it I have a lot of friends there I've seen some um people probably know but your Instagram feed <laughs> at the boy who bakes if you want to go on there and just check out Ed's Paris pictures they're absolutely Thanks. you make it look like more Paris than Paris is I mean one of my friends who lives in Paris emailed me 
the other day and went, you know more about Paris than I do. Where should I go for dinner? I'm like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, ask me for a bakery recommendation. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> ask me for a restaurant. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to struggle with that. But I, I, I love the place. Yeah. And I, it's always been one of the main places that I pull inspiration yeah. from. Yeah. Um, you know, my book on patisserie, you know, it's, I keep calling it my Paris book. I'm like, it's not because Paris. It's, it's, it's not Paris. basically it's all France. Your, your stuff, your influence, your like, a came lot from of it that. Comes yeah. from there. Especially when I'm thinking like in traditional French technique. Yeah. Often I think about Paris a lot. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I love the place. Love it, love it, love it. And so I think, was, was last year the first time you went to Tokyo? Oh my, yeah. Oh, last so, year was the first time I've ever been to anywhere in Asia. Yeah. And I completely fell in love. It was my most, it was the best holiday I've ever, ever had. And I completely fell in love with Tokyo. Tokyo's I, insane though, isn't oh it? Oh my God. Yeah, in, in, in a, like, <laughs> like in the best I possible way. I wanted it to be like that. Yeah. I wanted to be. You, um, you won't be dis- I don't think anyone would it. be disappointed. No, if you are, I'm like, <laughs> what did you think you were getting? Like, Tokyo was amazing. Yeah. Like, I, I could spend years there and yeah. not feel I've done anywhere near yeah, yeah, yeah. all of it it's intense but amazing I loved and it, it and the, the kind of baking scene there is quite interesting isn't it because oh, they do take a lot of I, I thought um, I know there's a Pierre Hermé there's, there's a lot of there's a, seven of them yeah there's a lot of French houses that yeah. have got their own shops in Tokyo and then you've got the Japanese chefs, uh, patisserie yeah. makers, who are taking a lot of influence oh, from yeah. France as well, well, aren't they? I always joke that if you're in Paris yeah. and you see Japanese people working in a patisserie, it's a good place because yeah. the Japanese rate it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a kind of like a dual relationship where there's a lot of French people who've gone over their open shops. Actually, Pierre Hermé opened in um, uh, Japan before he opened in Paris um, oh. because there was a massive market for him over yeah. there. Um but yeah, there's there's that way. But then also there's a lot of Japanese people who've gone to Paris to learn and then gone back and opened up shops. So there's kind yeah. of that dual influence. So you'll actually see a lot of Japanese influence in Paris these days. Like yeah. most, even very French patisseries will have a little bit of uh, Japanese flavour, even if that's just black sesame yeah. or matcha or yuzu. You know, they are... So they'll bring that more kind of experimental mm. side. Well, it's interesting because the Japanese technique is very, you know, it's a perfectionist kind it's of perfectionist level. perfectionist as well, yeah, which is... Yeah. Which is what I found. It's almost oh, it's like, you know, a lot of the places we went to, they'd they'd almost gone to Paris, like learned all this technique, brought it back, and then just done it like a million it, times better. Yeah. Actually, one of my friends who's a pastry chef says basically the same thing that she thinks you get better patisserie in Jap- uh, Japan now than yeah. you do in Paris because that attention to detail is huge. And did you go to any of the? Because because one thing that I found about Tokyo was you get these insane. Um, You're gonna say food halls. Yeah, yeah, the food halls. So yeah. it's so it's like a it's like. We um, it's like a department store and then in the bottom there's a food hall and it's like I've Some never, of them I've never are, known anything like it I, I remember that we went to one I'm going to forget its name there was two floors yeah. and I swear it was bigger than some department stores here like yeah. the whole just the food bit and it's insane because you can get anything and everything in those places. So square watermelons square that cost three hundred pounds. Like yeah. So much money. <laughs> um, but you have uh, the the best ones have two sections. So they have the, the supermarket element with yeah. fresh food, which even if you're not buying anything, it's just fascinating. Just to, to look walk at. around, beautiful to walk oh, around as the well. The most beautiful supermarket you've ever seen, but also the most expensive supermarket yeah. you've ever seen. But then they also have the kind of traditional like food hall, food hall, where you can get either hot things or baking or yeah, all that kind of stuff. So good. But they are amazing half the time we got all our meals from there because yeah. it was so amazing but I remember there was there was one in Tokyo and we were they love chiffon cakes in Japan so those super light airy cakes they right. love them is that the one where you it's like a whisked yes whisked sponge, a whisked like sponge. a genoise it's or... like a genoise but um, I'm going to get this wrong probably chiffon's the one made with 
oil. Yes, I um, think that's and right. Egg and so it gives you that really particular um, light, like the yeah. textures, like it's air, insane. isn't it? Like it's cloudy. It's so amazing. Yeah. But it's the one you have to um, cool upside down, otherwise it yeah. will collapse. Oh. Um, we went into this uh, food hall and there was this orange kind of chiffon cake and we obviously couldn't read the language and couldn't quite figure out what it was meant to be flavour wise yeah. but we were looking at it quite intently clearly and the woman, <laughs> the woman said you to try and she opened this massive plastic bucket and it had kind of all the scraps of the cake in it and she oh. just went kind of gave us some <laughs> and me and Mike bucket my, of I, scraps oh you make it sound so I'll buy the, I'll buy the bucket um, me and Mike my other half we were like looking at each other going oh my god this is amazing couldn't quite figure out what the flavour was and then it hit me I'm like oh my god this is maple so I think it was made with maple Aww. syrup maple sugar or something it was the most incredibly flavoured thing ever and every other de- uh, department store we looked if they had the stand so we could have another sample it's yeah. so good but just the baking on offer there it ranges from the French to the American to the very traditional Japanese yeah. um, sweets um, like you can go to one of the ones in Tokyo one of the famous ones and um, one of my friends in New York runs a bakery called Baked and they're based out of um, they have one in uh, um, Brooklyn yeah. and one in it's in Manhattan I'm going to forget the area um, but they've now opened a little shop in Tokyo and they're like they sell cupcakes wow. and will pies and you know they love baking from other yeah. places and I think again that's one of the things that I love about them because sometimes they'll take that idea and then do it their own way. Yeah. So on our very, very last day in Japan, um, we were back in Tokyo to get our flight and we went to this bakery and it was the most amazing, amazing bakery. It was tiny looking. Everything they did was just elevated to such a degree. Um, I became obsessed with this thing called curry pan, which is my favourite thing of all time Curry, now. Curry pan? Curry pan. Okay. It's a donut. So it's, it's like a bread dough, like a normal bread dough, and you form it into like a donut and you fill it with like a curry. Um, like a sweet curry? Kind of. It's not, it's not a sweet donut, it's a savoury thing. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, Japanese curry is quite sweet anyway. So a I lot like of the, the sound of that, like curry sandwich. <laughs> it was effectively like a fried curry sandwich. So it's covered in mm. uh, panko and then fried, and they're incredible. Wow. And most of the ones we tried, because I, I tried a lot, okay. uh, <laughs> was slightly on the sweet side, because Japanese curry often tends to be quite sweet. Yeah, that's sweet. sort of sweet. Yeah, yeah and so sometimes it was a bit too sweet and not yeah. the best but this one was much more like um, a kima inside yeah. and it was incredible um, and I think this one was baked and not fried and it was just so good and they took like kind of those Japanese things and did them just a little bit more elevated yeah. than some other places and they, it was just like we sat there going why did we find this on our last day we want to come back Every how did day. you find the places? I mean, how really did... difficult. Um, oh yeah, because there's no street signs, is there in Tokyo? Uh, that's well, that's one thing I found work out when I was like, no. It works a bit, but it's not very accurate. You can sometimes find a policeman in a little white hut well, who will show are really you. Really helpful. Yeah, definitely. this is so, so that helpful. That stereotype is true. We were stood in the uh, tube system, the metro system, one day, and we literally looked at my phone for like a <laughs> second to look at a map, and this really old Japanese guy came over. Couldn't speak a word of English, no. but there was a lot of pointing involved, yeah. and it was you know they, they're really wanting to help. You. I found that when I was there. Somebody said, if you stand still long yeah. enough and look confused, yeah. someone will come and help you. Definitely. And even if they can't speak English, they'll go and find someone who yeah. can. Yeah, yeah. It was and super like, friendly. Yeah. Um, but actually, though, that place on the last day uh, actually came through recommendation. So oh, right. I think I must have tweeted something and a whole bunch of people told me the best places. Yeah. And one of them turned out to be not very good, but this place turned out to be amazing. Um but I think for Japan especially, you have to do a lot of research because there's so much. Yeah. You know, there, I think there are more bakeries probably in Tokyo than there is in Paris times yeah, two or three. Yeah, I would imagine. It's insane. Yeah. You know, 
uh, metro stations, tube stations, have huge food sections. Mm. A lot of them do. So you can go to Tokyo Station, which is just a mammoth warren of a tube station. Mm. And it has like a huge food section underneath. So big that we actually put our luggage in a locker for a a while where we had lunch and lost it. We could not find it. We walked around the station for an hour (laughs) trying to find where we'd left it. Um, but in there, there were so many food options. There was a whole street. Because they've got there. like different floors, haven't oh, they? Like four, yeah, like four underneath floors. The station. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Imagine going to Oxford Street and then finding 400 places to eat underneath. I went because um, I, I was there on my own, but I, I had a couple of people helping me, guiding me. Yeah. And um, there was one day when I, I had a recommendation to go and eat noodles in Tokyo train station. Yeah. And they said it's the best place it's to Ramen go. called Street. Yeah, all oh, right. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's where I went there, went, told off on my own, went there. <laughs> well, it's um, a really good place because you have... Uh, Ramen Street has kind of satellite shops yeah. of ramen shops from all over Tokyo, but also uh, the rest of Japan. Yeah. And so there's like six or seven, I think. And they're incredible. Yeah. You know, we went there twice and it was amazing. Yeah. Um, I, but I do think because there's so much on offer, yeah. having little help in terms of like a magazine feature or uh, going online, finding something yeah. really And helps. you had recommend, you, you got recommendations through did, like yeah. Instagram and on your blog and yeah, stuff Yeah, Instagram well. is interesting because everyone really wants to give you a recommendation. So you have to kind of sift out... Sift out the, the, the ones that, yeah. ...the touristy things. Because yeah. a lot of people are so wanting to help, which is really wonderful. Yeah. They will give you the same kind of... Place that, that everybody, everybody else, to, yeah, which aren't necessarily bad, but some of them yeah. are a bit, you know, touristy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Instagram was a big help on this trip just because yeah. it was hard. <laughs> it was really hard. And, and when you were there, I think one of the recipes you've written for us in the feature was was inspired by yes. the fact that you said everywhere you everywhere. go, matcha is yeah. is king. Well, like it's cliche, but it's true. Yeah, like, they love matcha baking. Like it's everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. And one of the places we went, well, every place we went, all the department stores had a stand that would specialise in matcha yeah. sweets. And every single one of them had like a matcha roulade kind of Swiss rolly kind yeah. of thing. And they all looked super simple, but because they were so perfect, they looked really, really elegant. Yeah. And I, I love matcha as a baking ingredient. I think it works so well. Um, and it's so quite easy because you use the matcha powder, you don't have to you? Use a really, we don't have to use a really good matcha powder. But you, you should. Have to use matcha, I mean, you might as well tea. get a decent quality matcha. Well, but you get. But I think you get a lot from it. Yeah, you don't that, need yeah, much. exactly. Um, but there is a massive difference in price. So, like, I buy my matcha here from the Japan Center, which is an amazing Japanese kind of supermarket yeah. in central London. And you can spend anything from like five pounds to fifty pounds wow, on matcha really? for the same kind of amount. So I always say, mm. you're not necessarily buying the cheapest because you won't get the colour and the intensity yeah. of flavour, but you're definitely not buying the most expensive for bacon because it's a waste of money. Yeah. So it's kind of finding that sweet spot. So in some ways, it's like spend what you want. Yeah. You know? um, but also, you will really get that colour. Um, but it was just amazing because everywhere went, same recipe. So when we decided on this mm. one, my first thoughts went straight to matcha and white chocolate. Yeah. It's one of the pairings I use a lot. But it works so well. And I think it, it's interesting because um, our editor, Laura, hi, Laura. <laughs> she's a bit of a, you know, allergic to matcha, yeah, doesn't really like that, it. Yeah. But um, So we were a bit resistant. But then we were like, oh, you know, let's, it's not going to give us something horrible. And uh, I think everyone in the shoot was, the, because the sweetness of the white chocolate yeah, and the really kind helps. of almost savouriness of the matcha, yeah. like sort of balance each other out completely. Well, I think that's the issue with matcha is that as much as I love it, it has this really earthy, grassy flavour. Yeah, it's flavor. earthy. And if you don't balance it out right, yeah. a lot of people wouldn't like it. And that's the reason they will tell you they don't like it. But actually, white chocolate pairs with it so nicely because it adds a bit of sweetness, it adds creaminess. Yeah. And it kind of 
cuts off that top edge that people don't yeah. really like, but that allows the really nice flavor of matcha to go mm. through it. So I've been using matcha and white chocolate for years and years and years. I remember my first ever demo uh, that I did at like a food festival was a, a white chocolate matcha layered mousse thing. And it was a complete disaster. <laughs> but it's just something I've used for years yeah. because it really, really works. And so when I saw these cakes... Um, yeah. The uh, Japanese don't need as much kind of white chocolate or sweetness right. as we do sweetness. to take away that flavor because they really like it. Yeah. But I thought for us, that would work really yeah. well just to kind of make it the... And it's actually not that sweet of a recipe so still. Because the, the cake's kind of like a... It's a roulade, isn't it? So oh, it's, it's, again, it's like a whisk, whisk sponge. Kind of and then very low fat. I can't yeah. remember if there's actually any fat in it at all. It might be a complete fat-free one. Yeah. But regardless, it has a tiny amount of um, fat in it so that it has a little bit of tenderness... But it just so it has that really, really nice texture. it so impressive. And I mean, it's quite a simple thing to put together, isn't oh, it? Oh, it uses one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine ingredients. Yeah. Uh, which I know sounds a lot now that I've counted them, but, but it's, but it's a basics. Cake, and you're going to, you, you know, it's can't flour, make a cake eggs, with two sugar. ingredients. No, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this one actually, yeah, it is fat-free. Mm. Um, and it is literally whisk up the eggs with the sugar and then fold through some corn flour, flour so it's, it's and like milk. It's like a posh Swiss roll. Yeah, basically. totally. Yeah. This is just a Swiss roll your mum wouldn't recognise. Yeah. And what about... Oh, why is it um, green? <laughs> Because we were talking about New York, so you did these um, snack cakes, we've called them, which were actually based on a <coughs> thing called... <laughs> Legal department said no. <laughs> um, so yeah, these were... This was actually Laura's kind of influence. So obviously Laura, the editor of the magazine, she had been on a trip to New York and there, there was... Um, it was not a trend because there's only one place making them, mm. but they started kind of reinventing this really old-fashioned snack cake. Yeah. So if you think of like the... Um, it's like a wagon, not like a wagon wheel, but yeah, it comes in of. the same packaging, it's doesn't the same it? Kind it's of it's style. like individually packaged. Yeah, little cake, round cakes. A little round cakes yeah, with yeah. filling, covered in covered a chocolate in, shell. Yes. So and then you really just kind simple. of... yeah. But there's a bakery in New York that's kind of not reinventing them, but like modernizing them. Modernizing them, and yeah. And they're kind of garish and colorful and, yeah. you know, whatever. But um, Laura had a chocolate and peanut butter one and was like, oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. So we tried to replicate it. Mine are square. <laughs> and that's purely because we didn't want wasted. So you could use yeah, the whole Yeah, we decided, didn't we, that yeah. round ones would look really pretty, but you they would end up really with all your pretty, cake off cuts. Off cuts. <laughs> um, so yeah, these are square and they're quite big in the end. Yeah. So we do say that it's probably best to share them. Yeah, I think it's a, a thousand time. calories per cake. It better not be, is it? Yeah. Oh, not again. Is it? Oh, no, mind. it is. Oh, no, it's not. It's only 500. Oh, that's half a cake. <laughs> so I remember. There was, it strikes again. Oh, no, there was a recipe that I did for um, Good Food years ago. And all the comments on the website are, oh, it looks amazing, but I'm not making it. It's a thousand calories a slice. And that's purely because we got the portion size wrong. Yeah. This one's right. And it's still a thousand. So yeah, eat half No, I mean, they, because we used, a, we used a big cake tin and we cut yeah. it into nine. Because you want to yeah. cover the... The, each little square in chocolate but then when we looked at the size of the cakes we were like yeah I reckon yeah. one cake you know you share it between it's two it's quite a bit yeah but also because um, you have to coat them in the chocolate you are using more chocolate than you actually eat yeah because there will be some wastage in yeah, that because yeah, you're yeah. glazing so yeah. you know ignore those calorie counts yeah, it's like 200 yeah, calories exactly. per half yeah yeah um, so that was a New York one that was and, one I, and York I guess ones, yeah. the kind of Paris influence is probably your passion fruit layer cake the, the cover yeah, star isn't it kind of because um, it's, yeah, it's kind of patisserie technique yeah because you're using in very thin layers of chocolate yeah. cake and then you've got like a ganache in between yeah, and you've got a it's curd. Def- it's definitely what you'd call like an entremet. So it's definitely that French style of like mousse cake. Yeah. But this is not technically a mousse. So it's mm. slightly easier, no gelatin, nothing like that. 
Um, so it's kind of uh, kind of my idea of French baking here is where I simplify it and make it a little bit more approachable. Yeah. Not saying this cake is simple. Um, I it's think definitely it's, trickier, but it's simpler than it could be. But I think sure. with, with everything, because I did it whenever I, I, once a year I embark on a big baking project for my niece <laughs> to make her a birthday cake. Nice. And I, I always give myself two or three days yeah, to put yeah, it yeah. together. So if there's elements to be brought together, yeah. don't try and do it all in two hours because, no, you know, no. it's best to kind of, I think it's best to just stagger it and give yourself time to do it. And well, then the good thing with this one is you really can do that because yeah, you can do um, it, yeah. it uses a chocolate cake, which you can make and freeze. It makes it uses a passion fruit custard that you can chill in the fridge for yeah. days in advance, um, and then the ganache and the glaze you have to do at the time, but yeah. it's not complicated. It just takes a bit of time and effort, but it's well, well worth yeah. it for sure. Because we were talking before, weren't we, about like you know best best practice with chocolate, yes. and we um you. I don't know if anyone's seen the issue. The glaze on the cake is so beautiful and shiny. <laughs> That's what all the comments were when yeah. I posted it. Oh my shiny, God, look at that shine. Like shine. Um, um, but there is a reason for that. So in the um, the glaze, we use um, some golden syrup or honey. Uh, and it's not right. loads, but it just adds a little bit that of shine. That adds the shine to it, doesn't um, it? Obviously, the, you know, being completely honest, that cake was shot not long after it was glazed. So it was at its best. Yeah. It will slightly lose it over time, but it will have a kind of nice gloss yeah. to it. Um, and that's because it's quite a thin ganache, which already yeah. means it's quite shiny anyway. And adding that little bit of golden syrup just amps up the uh, the glaze yeah. without making it like a really complicated yeah. mirror glaze. It is just a, basically a fancy ganache. And the reason you had it in the freezer when you when you dropped it <laughs> was because I mean that that's quite a nice technique, isn't it? That I've yeah. seen um, you use on a, on a few cakes. Yeah, where... it gives you a better finish. So basically, what you do is if you um, glaze a cake like that, so this cake is like fully covered in like a glaze from yeah. top to bottom. If you do that with a cake that's room temperature, it will run off a lot more. So you have to thicken up the ganache a lot more so it clings. Whereas if you freeze the cake and it's kind of got a crumb coat on it, um, when you pour the glaze on it, it clings to it a lot better. So A, you can use a thinner glaze, but also it means because you it just almost get a nicer finish. Because it sets up quite sets up quickly much quicker. as well. Yeah. Can you explain what a crumb coat is, just for people that don't know? Uh, so crumb coating is where you take any sort of layer cake and you put a very thin coating of like frosting or buttercream or uh, ganache and on the outside. And it gives you a smooth surface to work with. Totally, it just yeah. locks in all those crumbs yeah. so that um, if you're adding buttercream onto the top of it, nothing comes through, no yeah. crumbs show. Or in this case, if you're kind of glazing it, it gives the... That Glaze, lovely smooth, to to. and it is super. I mean, super smooth. Yeah. Um, the thing on the cover, you can see. <laughs> um, so let's just because it is the whole features about chocolate. Let's just talk about some chocolate mm-hmm. um, techniques. And so we we were talking about. Um, We've got loads of different types of chocolate in here, yes. percentage-wise. Yeah, so there's white chocolate in this. There's caramelized white yeah. chocolate where we cook it slowly for an hour and turn it into this kind of like almost posh caramel. Yeah. So white chocolate isn't really chocolate, <laughs> is it? <laughs> um, it really does depend on your definition of what chocolate is. Yeah. So I would, I kind of go down the side of saying it is chocolate, but right. it's a different type of chocolate. Okay. So obviously there's no cocoa solids in it. It's just cocoa butter. Yeah. So there's a lot of sugar in white chocolate and it has kind of a, a different taste. And so I do think sometimes people will naturally find it just sweet rather yeah. than flavorful. And so what we do by kind of slowly roasting it in the oven at a low, low temperature is it caramelizes all the milk solids yeah. in the chocolate and it gives it that real caramel yeah. kind of um, so it gives it a more, de leche flavor. And more depth of flavor yeah. to it and, and like stops it being like super sweet. And it just is amazing. Yeah. Um, I really like white chocolate anyway because I kind of like the creaminess yeah. you get from it. 
Um, and I like the fact that you can add texture and flavour to a recipe without adding a really dominant flavour. Is white chocolate one of the ones that you should really buy a decent chocolate? Yeah, only because um, you can buy a lot of cheaper white chocolate, which has some oil in it. Some oh, oil, so it'll it doesn't work in the same way. When well, you... Yeah, but also there is a lot of cheap nasty white chocolate because you know depending on where you get your cocoa butter from yeah because it's a cheap it's a cheap product to make yeah. isn't it yeah but it's just cheaper than normal chocolate yeah. so um i think it's worth spending the money not loads of money because there isn't much choice when it comes to white chocolate especially in the supermarket no um but you do want to use a better quality one um just because some of the ones just taste of sugar yeah so um yeah it is worth trying to buy what a slightly do you use better one yours uh, at the moment i tend to use um all guitar chocolate from san francisco um just because i think range wise and price wise they're in a really sweet you can spot. get you can get that now can't they you? they launched over here about a year ago i think and they're now in ocado amazon lakeland because i've used some of M&S, their cho- chocolates and they come in little pellets and yeah, little buttons in, well, so like it's really easy useful. because then you don't have to chop no a massive bar of chocolate up yeah um but yeah the, the thing that's interesting about them for me as someone who uses a lot of chocolate i think i have 30 kilos in the house at the moment like just, just a small <laughs> amount just a very small amount under the bed um, they they have a real range of like percentage wise so depending on what you want it for they have yeah. the, the variety but also their price point is better than you'd expect so yeah. if you think of someone like Valrona who's a very high quality chocolate company yeah. it's very expensive super expensive and like someone like me who is testing recipes all the time it's kind of out of my reach yeah um, you know food writers don't earn a fortune <laughs> um, whereas uh, if you go to the supermarket you're paying uh, £2.20 per 100 grams these days for yeah. like a green and blacks whereas if you're buying in bulk and actually this is the best way for home bakers who really mm. like chocolate is not to go to the supermarket you know buy it by the 500 yeah. gram or the kilo if you're going to um, if you're going to invest in it and do some serious chocolate work then yeah. just go and buy also, some also chocolate bigs. has yeah. a really long shelf life so you yeah. might as well it's much much cheaper yeah. so if you buy say like a kilo of guitar I'm going to get the prices wrong it is actually cheaper than buying 100 gram bars from the supermarket yeah. and the quality is a lot better yeah. but the, some of the supermarkets actually do make a decent dark chocolate now there's yeah. a lot of um, choice so it's hard to find but there are a few that have really upped their game in terms of making their own or you know buying in their own mm. branded chocolate so let's talk about like just in, in really simple terms if I'm making a chocolate sponge yeah. and, it, and it calls for putting in some melted chocolate and yeah. if I'm making a chocolate ganache yeah. and it calls for melted dark chocolate yeah. can I use a slightly different percentage for that or, or can I use basically do I have to use the super expensive stuff for sure. both so it depends on kind of what you're using it for um, and also it's important to read the recipe so if someone just says dark chocolate yeah it probably doesn't matter or they didn't test it with anything other than 70%. That's right. probably oh, okay. the go-to. Yeah. Um, if it has a very specific percentage... Then it's that's that's there a for a reason. Of, oh, possibly. Yeah. It's either there for a reason or it's just the, the writer's preference. Yeah. So um, I tend to put a guideline for my recipes. So I'll say between 65 and 75% because yeah. uh, if you choose anything within that area it's not going to drastically change no. the texture no but if you say take one of my recipes say for example the um i'm trying to think of one of the ones the uh, passion fruit cake for example yeah because you have chocolate in the sponge and that don't yeah. you yeah so if you dramatically change the percentage of that from say i say in the recipe that it, uh, it actually needs to be actually that one's a cocoa oh is it recipe, okay but say a lot of my chocolate cake recipes will have chocolate in it say you change the percentage of that from 
I don't know, a 65% to a 40%. Yeah. What you're doing is you're removing cocoa solids and upping the um, cocoa butter or sugar. Oh. So either... The and the cocoa will, solids are what give it the chocolate flavour. What the chocolate flavour, but also depth. texture. Texture. So you're adding more fat, which means the cake might have a different texture, yeah. but also a lot more sugar, so it might be sweeter. So it just depends. I think, I always say that if the chocolate's going in something and it is suggested try and keep within like 10 or so percent yeah. because you're not going to change it drastically yeah. but if you're going if it's going like on something like as a dip or a drizzle really doesn't matter at all use whatever you want yeah. um, I always say the thing the most important thing is using a chocolate you really like the taste of you like the taste of yeah. it because it's it, going to taste like that in there's the recipe. a huge difference in, in flavour between like maybe a 40% that's got a lot more yeah. fat and cocoa well, butter you, and... like Bourneville for example not to throw them under the bus but um, Bourneville is I'm going to probably get this a little bit wrong but I think it's 38% cocoa solids mm-hmm. and they call it that a dark chocolate which is not really that's technically like milk chocolate range but yeah. they don't add any uh, milk powder which is why it's not technically a milk oh, chocolate oh I see right but okay. what they do if you open a bar of Bourneville it's very dark yeah it's it super dark it looks really dark yeah. and that's because what they do is they over roast their cocoa so they intensify it to make it really dark and bitter. Yeah. But then they add a lot of sugar, which mm. brings it back. So actually, it's to my mind, it's a really bad idea to use something like that because yeah. it's masking a bad chocolate mm. with a lot of sugar. And also there's a ton of fat in there as well. So mm. it's not the best to use. No. But it's, you know, it's that old-fashioned. Mary Berry still recommends Bonneville for everything. Yeah. And that's just a tradition, you know. <laughs> it is actually. Kind of it's a sort of thing, you know, your grandma used to use. Yeah, stork well, it was one of the old whatever. So was there. She, yeah, I think Mary Berry still uses Marge quite a lot. Oh, in she her uses recipes. Stork in a lot of her recipes. Yeah, yeah, because because back in the day, that was the thing that you used, and she does think it gives a lighter sponge, which kind of does. But, but um, because it's got water talk. added to it, isn't and it? because it's a soft fat, so it yeah. never will go firm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, chocolate's a lot to do with taste. But yeah. Also, just kind of use your intuition if if it's going into the body of a recipe kind of the building yeah. block of it it's more important to try and follow but if it's going on something that's purely the writer's preference taste wise yeah. and just use what you like and I have no issue with people kind of messing around with recipes that's no I think I think that's the main thing like when you um when you're experimenting when you're cooking you know get some chocolate tried if you like yeah. it cook with it then try something else and then keep going into like you you've landed on something that you really like and I think it's just it's personal taste isn't it I think it's a lot to do with personal style Um, I think there's a a slight ethical point of view as well yeah we were talking about that you you know it it has to be fairly traded and that there's not it's it's that thing of you know chocolate has a checkered past and current in some ways and that there's been a lot of issue with child labour and unfair trade practices so I think it's important to try and support good chocolate just because the, the big, big companies have obviously the worst record yeah. and are trying to keep costs down as low as possible. Whereas if you're buying into a chocolate with a really good... And I know this sounds, you know, super lefty, you know, commie it's chocolate. It's just good but practice, isn't it? It's really I mean, good practice because chocolate's getting more and more expensive. Yeah. And that's because it's becoming harder and harder to farm. Yeah. And so actually by supporting a good chocolate company... So ethic, just look for the ethics of the company, yeah, like, basically. Try, I know it's pretentious but read into their ethics just because they're supporting really the industry it's no, just having a bit of a conscience which I think, I think it's there really are a lot important. of things it's really important these days like we're, we're all grown ups we, yeah. we can look into it and we can make our own decisions yeah, yeah. can't we because so. otherwise chocolate will become a pure luxury that no one can afford yeah. and so it's really important to support the people who are doing the yeah. right thing and there's a lot of really good companies doing yeah. it so 
just have a little have a little look nose around. Where it's coming from. Yeah. yeah. Um, one last thing: if you're melting your chocolate and it seizes, can can you rescue it? No. No. Um, it depends. What I've read you're things. I've read stuff saying you can put oil in it and then. Well, yeah, but then it becomes not chocolate. All right. So, um, <laughs> it depends what you're using it for. So right. if a ganache splits, that's super easy that's to cool. rescue. Oh really? Uh, yeah. If, so if you've if you've added your cream and it splits, it's probably because your cream was too hot. Oh. So you don't really want it at a full rolling bowl. You just want it at a simmer because yeah. otherwise, if it gets too hot, it splits out the fat from the chocolate and yeah. it splits. But you can add either a little bit of cream, cold cream, into it, oh, stir that and it'll bring it together. Back together. That can work. Yeah. I find if you're making a decent amount, the best way is to use like a hand blender because it basically is like making mayo. It forces it back into an emulsion. So oh, yeah, so you're emulsifying the, all the ingredients That's back all you're together. Doing. Yeah. So you just like making a chocolate mayo. Yeah. Sounds gross, but... <laughs> Technically, that's kind of what you do. (laughs) So you're kind of, by adding cream back, you're adding something that helps bring it back into emulsion. But the hand blender just forces it back in. um, Or whisk it really hard. Um, You will thicken it slightly because it will kind of whisk it up. But that's only going to really work if you're you're starting with chocolate and cream. If if you basically... Put your chocolate in the microwave, which I, which I'm yep. always, because I just haven't got the patience to do it over water. Sorry, um, and then it just burns slightly, and you get you can't scrape away. Yeah, burnt chocolate's really hard because it's yeah. disgusting. Yeah. If you split it because you've got a bit of water in it, yeah, it's really hard to rescue it for what you want to use it for. Right. Um, you can actually make a really good chocolate mousse with uh, just water and chocolate. Um, oh, so you, you just keep adding the, you just keep yeah. adding the water to it. So there's and then, things you can oh, do yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but you can't because really it's a rescue liquid. seized chocolate. I think with seized chocolate, it's it's the amount of liquor, isn't it? If you if yeah. you're adding enough liquid, it's it won't fine. seize. But you it's just a, if you're you can make an amazing ganache with water, yeah, um, like infused with tea or you know anything like that. But if you add like a few drops of it to chocolate, it will it will seize, seize lumpy, because it's so. not enough for it. It's no, no, kind of, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's effectively what you're using it for. If yeah. you're using it for a ganache, then just add more water or liquid. But yeah. if it's seized and it's like just melted chocolate to go in, say a cake, you're screwed. So start again. Just suck it up. <laughs> oh, well, thanks so much for talking to us today, My Ed. Um, beautiful recipes in the February issue out right now, yeah. and I think we've got a couple of them up online, which you've been yes, kindly posting about on Instagram. The loaf cake is online. Yeah, I think the. There's two up online, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the tart, yeah. which is amazing. It's a oh, caramel nut tart with a coffee so ganache. Good. It's so rich. So I don't look at the colour count of that either. <laughs> go to olivemagazine.com to check them out and um, follow Ed on at the boy who bakes to see amazing, beautiful <laughs> pictures of food hungry. every single day. But, um, to break your diet. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, no Ed. Worries. That was this week's Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our new February issue now or go and download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.